Leading Matters with Joel Caparelli. Okay, episode 20 of Leading Matters today, and my guest is Layla Seka. She is the general manager of Desk.com. Desk is a Salesforce company, and uh, I worked with Layla quite a while ago, and I kind of talk about that in the introduction, but you're, you're going to love this episode, and look, I know Believe me, I'm well aware that I say this about every episode, but I mean it because every episode I learn something. So I figure if I'm learning something, then my audience must be learning something as well. So do yourself a favor, as I always say as well, bookmark this one, download it, whatever you need to do, but make sure you listen to it because what you're going to hear is the way that um, Layla has taken control of desk and I think she was appointed general manager probably about a year and a half ago maybe a little bit longer but one of the first things she did was to actively evaluate exactly what the culture of desk was and then to ensure uh, that the culture was moving in, in the right direction and she did it for a couple of reasons one was to obviously create the white the right workforce environment for the talent that she knew she needed to achieve the mission of desk but then also desk if you don't know is in the customer service marketplace but also to develop a very uh, ingrained sense of empathy throughout the company so that they could not only understand their marketplace and their customers but help their customers understand uh, the, the marketplaces and those that they serve as well as a matter of fact towards the end here I talk about it as um, you know earning the right to empathetically serve our customer base and I think that is the key here and that's what uh, Layla has done with her leadership of desk that's what she's done with the talent development with the retention of great talent within embedding a millennial spirit of purpose into the organization because there's a lot of younger folks that work at desk and then ensuring that all of this effort is structured in a way that serves their customers better uh, for the sake of simply serving their customers and inherently what happens is good things sales go up renewals happen that churn rate goes down and it works and she's not the only leader to be doing that is a big trend today with leaders that are taking this sympathetic approach to really define purpose and mission create a workforce that is emotionally intelligent about how they're delivering that purpose and then going into the marketplace putting the needs of their customers first so that's what you're going to hear i know it's a lot packed in there give it a listen let me know what you think about it and pass it along and uh, i think you know you'll be glad that you did so i've gone on too long almost three minutes now here is my interview with the general manager of desk.com a salesforce company Layla Seca. So earlier in my career, I had the, what I think, very good fortune of working alongside my guest today uh, for several years. And I have to tell you, at the, that time in my career, I, I was thrilled to have the opportunity to work with her at uh, Primavera, which is now Oracle Company. And she challenged me and really everyone around her to really up their game every day. I would be lying if I didn't say I learned quite a bit from the way she approached her job and really just watching her artfully exercise her, her trade. So who is it? She is Layla Seka, who is now the general manager of Desk.com. They're a Salesforce company. Layla's been at Salesforce for probably over six years or so, holding a variety of leadership roles across product management, product marketing, and operations. And I have to tell you, she's a really fantastic woman. She's tenacious, dedicated, empathetic. She's committed to excellence and honestly, just generally fun to be around. Uh, so I, was, I hadn't talked to her in quite a while, and I thought I'm going to see if I can't get her on the show. She agreed. So first things first, Layla. Thank you so much for taking time out of what I know is a really busy schedule to join me. 
Oh, I'm so happy to be here, Joel. So honored that you wanted to chat with me. I miss you anyway. We've been friends a long time. I know. I miss you too. I, I really do. And that, that whole gang there. So so listen, you know what? I, I was motivated to, to reach out to you because I, uh, you know, I pay attention to, you know, my, my old friends and colleagues to see what they've got going on. And I've just always been really impressed since you kind of took the helm at, at desk.com. And one of the things that I've noticed is that it seems like desk is a really strong culture. And that's what kind of motivated me to reach out because I talked to a lot of my guests about the importance of company culture and, and really the impact that it has on our ability to deliver against what we as a company kind of set out to do. And I think you bring a unique perspective there because of what you're doing at Desk and, and because Desk is in customer service, of course. So, you know, I've written about empathy and culture, and it seems like those are things that you care about. So I'm just wondering if you could help me and, and my audience understand the impact that culture has on the ability to really serve the marketplace that we want to serve. Sure. Um, so, you know, Desk is an interesting situation because we're a startup inside of a Fortune 500 company, and we also are serving a customer service market, as you mentioned. So uh, it, it was really important to me when I took over the job that we created a culture that was very empathetic and understanding, partially because we wanted to make sure that our customers were feeling that when they were interacting with us, but also because I wanted to create a place where people could learn and grow and feel comfortable putting out ideas and extending themselves. So my management team and I sat down and really thought about and talked about what kind of a culture we wanted to build. And I don't think that's what most people do when they're setting out, but I think it's a really important part of the equation because we spend so much time together at work. You know, you, you honestly spend more time with the people at work often than you do in some cases with your own family or your friends. So it was really important to us that we created an environment which was comfortable and easy for people to work in, but which also was challenging and gave people the opportunity to extend themselves and try to do new things. Um, so that was very much how we focused it. And then we started thinking, as, as we got going at Desk and we started really moving and customers were coming on and we were getting a lot of feedback, we realized that our culture was reverberating into how we were interacting with our customers and that was an important piece of how we were connecting with our customers, which is ultimately what our software does for our customers. It lets them connect with their customers. So we thought about it, and then we started really feeling that in order to do support correctly in this day and age, you know, back in the day, customer support was a 1-800 number that was answered from 9 to 5 and was often not a wonderful experience when you called in. Times have really changed on that front, whereby your product's important, but the service that you provide with your product is almost equally as important as the product. So we saw that being able to leverage our culture in the way we did things at Desk and really extend that into our product and the way we talk to our customers about how they could use our product started changing the game for them as well. I mean, I think when it's ultimately said and done, the culture you create at your company is what makes people stay. And the cost of losing people is so high these days, you know, retraining, finding the right people, recruiting, having a spot open for a long period of time can often be very detrimental. So we worked hard to create a culture that people wanted to work at and that actually reverberate out into our product as well. So, you know, at, at the beginning there, you said you, you made a conscious decision to kind of say, hey, what ought the culture be here at, at Desk? And, and, you know, it's funny, when I, when I ask leaders these questions, they all kind of arrive at that point where, listen, culture is going to happen to our organization one way or the other. And I had one guy call it, um, you know, you're going to end up with an accidental culture if you don't kind of mind it yourself. 
I mean, did you, when you took on that task of saying, listen, we want to kind of define what the workplace and what the work environment is going to be and how we're going to, you know, be internally amongst ourselves. I mean, was it a conscious decision to lead to a point where, you know, the talent that we bring in is going to stick around and help us achieve what we're trying to achieve in the marketplace? Or, you know, just help me understand how you arrived at the decision to actually define the culture. Um, yeah, well, I, you know, I've worked at Salesforce for eight years, and Salesforce has a very strong culture. So it wasn't a it wasn't a heavy leap for me. But once I actually you know was in charge of the org, culture is really important to me. And culture can be kind of the way you move through the workday, but it can also be the way the environment you work in looks. So for me, when I took over Desk, you know, it's 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 not always easy to run a startup inside a Fortune 500 company. It's super rewarding and awesome, but it's not always easy, and I wanted to make sure that people that were working on this with me and that were on board felt like they were doing something special and a part of something bigger. So it, it was pretty natural for me. I, I've always kind of approached my jobs in looking at the culture that existed in the place where I wanted to work because it's really important for me. I have kind of an interesting personality. I'm really loud. Um, I'm very opinionated <laughs> and all these things. I've been lucky enough to work at companies that not only like allowed me to act that way but embraced it. So I wanted to create a very similar type of environment. And I also have the good fortune of having a lot of young people working at Depth. So I certainly have what most people would qualify as a millennial workforce. And it's really important, you know, th- th- I love millennials because they force us, at least they force me as a Gen Xer, to demand more, right? And and I saw this on the customer service side as well, and I'll give you a slight anecdote, and that is, you know, I never expected much from customer service. I always kind of expected to be disappointed. But spending time with my millennial workforce has made me realize that I should not expect to be disappointed from customer service. I should expect to be delighted, and when I'm not, I should I should tell them. And that was not only super insightful for running Desk as a business, but also how we wanted to create the culture in which we ran it. So I wanted to create a place where people could come to me. In fact, when I first took over Desk, I did one-on-ones with all of the 98 people that worked here at that time. And that was, you know, everyone's like, oh, that's crazy. Don't do that. Don't spend your time on that. You should be working on this or that. But for me, I didn't really feel like I could lead an organization unless I knew who was in it. And in those one-on-ones, I, I got a good sense of what was important to the people that worked at death. And that really helped me outline what kind of a culture I wanted to, you know, what parts of the culture that existed I wanted to perpetuate and what things I wanted to change. So it was a very, you know, I, I think many people when they take over an organization, they don't necessarily spend their first moment focused on the people inside of it. But I do, right? Because ultimately for me, I'm only as good as the people around me, right? The team that I create, the people that work with me, they're the ones that are the superstars. So it was really critical to me that I was listening to them and I was creating a culture they would be comfortable and happy in. So being very pragmatic and kind of deliberate about the culture was sort of a natural extension of kind of who I am. I think it's partially because I am a little bit different than your typical software executive. So I wanted to make sure that people that had different opinions or different ways of thinking about things felt welcome at desk and felt welcome to express those opinions. 
Sure. No, that that's a good description of it, and I like that approach, right? And, and you know, you, and you know, it's funny. And I, look, I have the the benefit of, of having worked with you and know you, so I can kind of understand what you're saying about you know your personality traits, and I you know kind of share those as well. You know, I tend to be an aggressive type of guy, very opinionated, and sometimes that turns people off, right? And 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 what I'm, I'm curious about is sometimes I think people confuse personality for culture. But I had was I had a, a gentleman on. Um, they, uh, it doesn't matter who they are, but but they are they do a lot of work force engagement type stuff and you know he said is that listen if the culture is strong enough it really should support any personality type within it right that that it should be open and welcome to really any so it's not the personality at all it's just the values that are kind of align up with what the culture is all about i mean would you agree with that and do you think that it's important to have a diverse set of personalities within that that overall employment culture oh my goodness yes oh 100 percent. in fact i think that's probably what i do best is I've created a culture that's fairly open, that allows people to feel comfortable, and that's attracted all different types of people, right? We have very loud people at desk. We have very quiet people at desk. It runs the gamut, right? We have people from different backgrounds. We have people with different perspectives. And all of that makes us run the company much more effectively because, you know, I think it's very important to look at it from, look at every issue from different perspectives, right? I have this running rule with my husband that everything's 50% my fault and 50% his fault so we can get on with the blaming and move forward, <laughs> like, decision-making. And I think yeah. that that, you know, having that type of an attitude about kind of work and the people you bring in and valuing other opinions and not caring that someone is too young or too old or too this or too that. There are a lot of stereotypes that move into people's minds as they're working. I really try to banish all of those and just let all the ideas flow. And we, you know, in that, we found great ideas. We've done amazing things based on, you know, random ideas that people expressed in the kitchen or at a team meeting or, you know, when we were walking down the street. People feel very free to do that and to do that with me, you know, and my management team. It's mm-hmm. a very... Mm-hmm. I think having an accessible management team that, you know, from the receptionist up to the general manager, everyone feels like they can talk to anyone and express their ideas, that was really important to me. I didn't want to live in a bureaucratic world where people felt like they had to ask permission to talk to other people. So, I mean, I think the more you embrace diversity, the more you can attract different types of people into your organization, the more effective you're going to be. Yeah, no, I'm I, again. I'm glad to hear you confirm that too, because again, that like when I when I you know invite folks on, they're usually you know good solid leaders like yourself, and they they all kind of come to that point is listen, the culture and the values and the mission of what we're doing is important, but the diversity and not not like the political correct diversity that everybody talks about, but the honest to goodness diversity of thought of personality really makes it makes a big impact. So I'm I'm glad to hear you confirm that as well. You know what? I guess my question is, especially in the marketplace you're in, and and customer service is such a challenging. Uh, service element of any business you know has this you know investment into the desk culture manifest itself in how you're serving your customers and are they learning or do you have the opportunity to teach them what you guys have discovered about it i'm kind of curious what that customer relationship has been for you in helping your customers better serve theirs yeah, I mean, and, and this is the beauty of working in customer service, right, because you really, it, it's very much on the front lines, and the answer is yes. I mean, we have extended parts of our culture to our customers, and the great thing is it's actually a feedback loop. We get information back from them, too. I mean, we're all running support teams in some fashion or another, whether you're supporting internally or you're supporting your customers. So we have kind of standing meetings where we talk to our customers, we hear about different things they're doing, we employ them. I mean, here's a really easy example. We named our support team, 
right? They're called the WOW team. And, and we did that because we wanted to give them a little bit more of a mission than just you're in charge of support. We wanted to say, your job is to wow our customers, make them hang up the phone and go, wow, that was an awesome experience. That person was awesome on the telephone or an email. And, and that was a really funny thing we started doing. And once we did that, we started talking to some of our customers about it, and we found that there were a lot of other people that were naming their teams, right? They were naming them superheroes or, you know, like Star Wars. They had all these different kind of funny ways to talk about their support team because they wanted to make the mission more, more than just providing customer support. You want to be a superhero. You want to wow them. You want to really extend path. So I think that, you know, the more you pay attention to culture and the more you breed that into your customer support team, the more your customers get a sense of who your company is, which is important. You know, it's not a faceless world. People want to know who they're doing business with. They want to know who they're, you know, who they're interacting with. They want to know who's on the other side of the phone and not just the person who's answering the support incident, but who's running the show, who's running marketing, who's in charge of engineering. They want to have a sense of the people they're doing business with. And being able to kind of expose portions of our culture that way has really helped in making that connection with our customers. Now, that's good. I, I, I like that as well, right? Because that's a, that's a natural progression of, of how you're serving your customers. And I think that makes a huge impact, right? So look, let, let, let me switch gears real quickly into just kind of SaaS selling in general, right? Because look, back when you and I were working together, the software game was a little bit different. You know, we had these big license deals that, that were, you know, larger than year one subscriptions in many cases. Uh, and, and that change really seems to put more pressure on sales, right? To not only be the quarterback of a deal like they always have been, but now they have to act as sometimes solution architects, sometimes they have to be the industry specialists, sometimes they have to be the first-line customer support in the early stages of deployment. I mean, they play nearly every role just by the nature of the way SaaS is sold today and, and the way that subscriptions have to, you know, kind of be locked in for renewals and whatnot. So it, I wonder if you guys have kind of faced that, and I'm, I'm curious what the key is to to make sure you get the right talent in those sales roles, because, you know, the, the relationship guy and builder is great, but sometimes they need to be much more of a jack-of-all-trades today, and I'm just curious as how you've handling that. Yeah, and I mean, I think we have, you know, across Salesforce, we have all different types of salespeople, of course, but I'll speak specifically to Jeff. Yeah, you know, a lot of our our account executives are playing multiple roles, they, and and we have kind of a running theory here at Jeff that everyone's in customer support at our company, including, you know, me, including my EA, everybody, we all, all of us are in customer support, and, and we all need to pay that attention. So we've extended that to our sales team as well. And the thing is, you know, it really depends. It's very hard to find one person that can do everything. That, that's a really hard role to fill. But certainly, often I look for people that can do a couple of things. You know, there's, you can always learn. Part of working is learning, right? I mean, if you absolve yourself from the constructs of corporate America, you could quickly say that doing a job is just like going to school, right? Every day I'm learning something. Every day I'm trying to extend myself. I'm trying to be better. So I kind of look at hiring staff sales folks as that. I'm like, sometimes you need a relationship person. Sometimes you need someone who can do a product demo and get a contract done. Sometimes you need someone who can really make the customer feel attached to the brand and, you know, well cared for. And, and you know, if you find someone that has a couple of those traits, it's pretty easy to teach them the other ones if that's, in fact, the direction you need to go. And I wrote a blog post some time ago about empathy, and, and, and that's, like, I, I think for me, I look for that first in everyone I hire. Like, can you put yourself in the customer's shoes? 
can you understand what they're feeling? Can you make sure that when you're talking to them, your their perspective, their side of the equation is a big part of your psyche as you're working through what you're trying to negotiate or work, you know, make happen with them. So, I mean, I think, and, and SaaS salespeople in lots of ways have to be the most empathetic because they really need to explain not only, you know, the value of selling and what they're going to get out of this and why this is the right decision for them, but then also as they're working through the process, understanding certainly if someone's moving off of a client-server environment, like what you and I used to build back in the day, into cloud computing, although I feel like we've kind of crossed that chasm in the last eight years of Salesforce, but you know, if, if someone's making that decision, it's important for you to understand what their concerns are, what their fears are, what they're up against. And empathy will help you really relate to them and make them feel comfortable moving forward. So, I mean, I think when you're hiring, there are all different types of things you need at different stages in the growth of your business. But I don't hire anyone that isn't empathetic. That's just, I, I, that's not someone that's going to work in my organization, not on the sales side, not on any side, really, because we live in a culture of empathy here at Desk, and that is about understanding what our customers are up against and understanding what they're trying to do for their customers and making sure we're doing everything we can to help them accomplish those goals. Yeah, you know, I it's funny. I had, um, have you ever heard the Challenger sale? Yeah, sure. So I had uh, Brent Adamson on the show uh, a couple weeks ago. Actually, I haven't posted it yet, but but uh, we had a really great discussion about this very topic. And and he he was talking about empathy from the perspective of being able to produce this kind of narrative or this story, not not just to do the old solution pain thing like we used to do in the you know the early part of the thousands, right? But to actually kind of drive your effort to meet the needs and, and actually get ahead of your customer to the decision point that you know they're going to arrive at and then educate them from a from a perspective of empathy right so it's really it's it's really curious to hear you kind of label that as a as an important attribute because I, I would agree with that and he kind of you know schooled me on that as I got to know him a little bit right so you know do you agree with that does does Des try to address that sort of complexity of the decision making process with that their customers have and, and try to know what that process is, even maybe before the customer himself might know know what it is. I mean, that's what the best salespeople do, right? They know where their customer is often before the customer gets there, right? Because they've seen it before, they've been through it. And there's a high degree of empathy required to be able to see that before it happens. So yes. And I and I think that you know, every customer is a little different. Every customer is trying to accomplish, you know, they, they, they might, the, the brass taxes may be the same, but every business has its own unique little flair. And really being able to understand that and, and, and acknowledge that and help the customer understand that you're going to help them keep that flair or accentuate that flair, if that's in fact what they want to do, is really the key, I think, to doing this well. I mean, I've met a lot of salespeople in the last gosh, 20 years or however long it's been, a long time. <laughs> um, and, and the ones that I've, it's too long to talk about, uh, and the ones that I've been most impressed with and that have struck me the most are the ones that could actually put themselves in the customer's shoes, right? You don't go into a customer and say, hey, you need this, and be all aggressive. If you do that, the customer is immediately turned off. It's the sales rep or the solution architect that sits next to the customer really tries to listen and understand the customer's business, you know, and then in that listening, find empathy. And, and it's really funny. If you approach it that way, you quickly figure out what the customer's most concerned about or most interested in fixing or most, like, has the most anxiety about. And then you can tailor the demo 
tailor what you show them to make them understand that what you're bringing forth will help them solve their concerns. And and I just think, you know, there's some hotshot salespeople that walk in kind of like know-it-alls and sit there and are like, sign this contract, I'm going to fix your life. I, I don't think those people do as well nor create as much of a lasting relationship for the customer because, you know, you and I know this, but it's one thing to get the customer. It's an entirely different thing to keep them, right? And, you know, and many salespeople think the second they sign that contract, the deal's up. That's not how we've approached things at Salesforce, and certainly not at Desk either, right? We feel like once you sign the contract, that's the beginning of the relationship, and then you got to work like any relationship to keep it going and understanding. So, you know, I think the best salespeople know how to do that, and even though they might move on to the next deal after the contract signs, they never let go of their customer. They still check in, email, how's it going, how's the implementation, is everything working for you? And those little monthly, bi-weekly check-ins with the customer make all the difference in, in, in creating a trusted bond with the customer where they feel like if something does go bad, they can call the account executive or they can call me or they can – they feel like they have a real attachment to the company. A faceless corporation never wins the renewal. Right, it's just the way it is. You you have to actually be real humans on the other side, and they have to be able to relate to you in order to make sure that when the renewal comes up, they want to renew. And I think that's an important piece of the puzzle for a salesperson or really anyone that's working in SaaS. Now, absolutely, and I couldn't agree more. I think that that again, I, all the SaaS companies I talk to, whether they're there, you know, before you know I start working with them, or whether they get there on on their own, I think it's always. Probably the most important piece of the puzzle as well. So let's have a personality, right? Let's be a human company to our to our customers. So look, I am going to uh, I'm going to end it up on that note because I I'm just really thrilled with, with what you had to share today, Layla, and I'm really thankful that you came on. And again, we've been talking about corporate culture and aligning that culture with the values and the mission, the purpose of what we're doing. You know, getting millennials to kind of push us, us Gen Xers, kind of over the edge to to care more about that purpose, and then to have that reflected in the way that we go into our market and serve our customers. And really, we're earning a privilege to be empathetic servants to our customers. And I, I really like that that idea. And if you don't mind, I'm going to adopt that as my own as well and maybe talk and write, the, write about that a little more. So listen, we've been talking with Layla Seca. She's the general manager of Desk.com, a Salesforce company. And I'd encourage you to look up Layla. I encourage you to look up Desk.com and uh, you know, learn a little bit more because she's always got a lot, to, a lot to share. So thanks so much, Layla. Thank you, Joel. Take care.